Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. Boy, Phil, that first episode of Historic Phrases was the cat's meow. It really was. So let's give our listeners the opportunity to let their hair down and hear a few more historic idioms. Yeah, we could probably do episodes like this till the cows come home. We've probably let the cat out of the bag, Phil, but this is a fan favorite. The top fives coming at you as a sequel to the historic phrases from a few weeks ago. Listen, I don't want to butter you up, listeners, but your feedback has really inspired us to do this again. Well, Phil, I got my new five. And I got mine. So turn up the volume and let's get into the sequel of the top five historic phrases. Hi, everyone. This is Phil Horner here with Phil Shaw. If you're listening to another episode of the Missing Chapter podcast, we are um, following up a top five that we did earlier. Top five idioms, um, you know, historic background phrases that you guys are accustomed to hearing. And because we enjoy doing it and because the top fives are some of our more popular episodes, this is the sequel to that one. So I think we've got another list of really interesting idioms you guys are familiar with and kind of where they originated, Phil. And before we get started, we're brewing some Adirondack blueberry. And if you guys are, you know, common listeners to our show, you know, that's one of our favorites. Yeah, 100%. It's one of our favorite episodes to do. This has been incredibly enjoyable from our end doing the top five phrases. Lots of great feedback. And I got to tell you, I'm really excited here for the coming months here because we have some amazing guest speakers coming on, uh, one of which is going to be a very popular episode. I know a very prolific figure in the uh, History Channel realms. Um, So very excited to have him on Uh, and a lot of great episodes coming up soon. So stay tuned and, and listen for some major announcements coming down the pike here. So, Phil, let's get into it. We got top five historic phrases. I got my five. I have mine. Let's, Let's get do started. it. Okay, so number five for me, Phil, is the phrase "chew the fat." Mm. So if you think about, you know, people stood around chewing the fat. They're just making small talk, talking about everyday conversation. So I, I wondered where that came from, and it originally was a sailor's term. Okay, uh, and it refers to the days before refrigeration, when ships carried food that wouldn't spoil and did so primarily with very large amounts of salt. And one of them, one of the meats that they that they tended to carry a lot of salted pork, salted pork skin, Ooh. which consisted largely, as you can imagine, of fat. And sailors would only resort to eating this salted pork skin if all the other meat had been consumed on the ship and was gone. And they often complained about having to eat the salted pork skin. So the idle chatter became known on the decks as chewing the fat. Oh, so I'm wondering if, if there's... Any link to like popular eatery of pork rinds? Mm. I'm, I'm yeah, curious and about it, that. You know, it's not that not that pork's not. You know, it, I think it's got to be one of the larger, you know, consumed meats in the world. Um, fat, but Oof. the yeah, and and the fact that it was so so salted, oh, just to be preserved, um, wasn't necessarily something they looked forward to. It was just something that they were desperate enough to to consume. So wow. chew the fat is my number five, Phil. All right. So my number five is skeleton in the closet. Oh, good one. Okay. So before the the United Kingdom passed its 1832 Anatomy Act, uh, grave robbers would supply skeletons for medical schools. Hmm. Okay. 
So basically under the table. So when a raid occurred, the teachers tended to, I would guess, hide these skeletons in the closet uh, so they would not have them confiscated because obviously they're getting them illegally. So skeleton in the closet, obviously we had some, um, I don't know, pretty rough origins to begin with. Yes. Okay, Phil, mine number four is feeling under the weather. Probably a very popular idiom. I think everybody has, uh, has, has said this at some point. Um, it's believed to be nautical in nature. Oh. Yeah. So when a sailor was feeling sick or ill, he would go beneath the bow, which was in front the front part of the boat, of course. Uh, this would hopefully protect him or her from adverse conditions, as they were literally under the bad weather that could further sicken them. So therefore, a sailor who was sick could be described as being under the weather because they're essentially under where the weather takes place. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I get, that makes sense, too. You think about it. You're like, yeah, I can see where the origins Absolutely. of that came from. Yeah. I'm going to go close, but no cigar, Phil. Oh, that's a great one. I say that all the time. Right. I was going to say, I think that's one of the more common ones. As I'm looking at my list of five, this might be one of the ones that you and I actually use quite a bit. So carnival games. Carnival games, we think about the fairs and carnivals that, you know, it's summertime. You're going to start to see these. Well, nowadays, they give out stuffed animals as prizes. But originally, when we're talking late 19th century, the games were targeted to adults and not necessarily kids. So instead of getting a giant teddy bear, if you were to win the game, Phil, winners might get, you guessed it, uh, a cigar. If they almost won, but didn't quite earn that prize, they'd be close, but no cigar. By the 1930s, the phrase extended beyond fairgrounds, fairgrounds rather, to everyday close shots. <laughs> All right. Number three on my list, Phil, um, if you're going to break off a conflict, commence a friendship, uh, a discussion, you might be breaking the ice with someone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Or, or if you go to a conference of some kind, everyone's favorite part, I know, <laughs> is the first five to 10 minutes you have to do an icebreaker. So back when road transportation was not quite developed, ships would be the only transportation means of trade. So at times, the ships would get stuck during the winter because of ice formation. So the receiving country, prior to that country sending out a ship that would be bringing you goods, the receiving country would send smaller ships to break the ice to help clear away for the trade ships, the larger ones. So this gesture showed affiliation and understanding between the two territories and helped open communications, thus breaking the ice i feel like my eyes have been open for there the you first go time. that's amazing breaking the ice oh my gosh so and then i wonder if they use that idiom on the titanic is that too soon uh, too soon that wow. was in poor taste i it, it's a great pun great question okay maybe we'll just move on yeah. all right so here we go mine number three mm -hmm. spilled the beans okay okay um this one's a, kind of a bit tricky okay. uh, there's no real clear-cut answer but from what what i found I think the overall consensus is that it most likely came from uh, the ancient Greek voting process. Oh. So the ancient Greek voting process actually involved beans. People would vote by placing one of two colored beans in a, um, in a vase, all right, which so you couldn't see inside. White typically meaning yes, a black or brown bean meaning no. This meant that if someone came over and accidentally hit the jar, spilled the beans, the secret results of the election would be revealed before intended. Okay. So hence spilling the beans is related to revealing secret information. 
All right, Phil. So my number two is actually a reference to a sports term, which I never really knew. I've got it in the bag. This is relating back to uh, baseball games. So let, let's talk about this for a second. There are really other recorded uses for this, but the, the version of this idiom that has become so widely accepted came about from the New York Giants, now the San Francisco Giants baseball team. It began as a superstition. I think any baseball fan, any baseball player knows that superstition in baseball go hand in hand. Go hand in hand, right? absolutely. Um, it's the way you you warm up if you're a pitcher. It's the way you warm up if you're an infielder, outfielder, a catcher. It's the way you uh, are in the batter's box. Mm -hmm. Everybody has their own version, right? Right down to the socks you're wearing. Absolutely. Yep. I can think of as a Yankee fan, Jimmy Laritz, and yeah. him spinning the bat. You know, every exactly. single person has that that uh, pregame routine, pre-bat routine, et cetera. So a bag, um, well, let me, st let me start here. In 1916, the Giants had uh, a run of 26 consecutive wins. There was a bag filled with 72 extra baseballs, and that would be put in the playing field at the beginning of each game. So these balls were used to replace any that were hit into the seats or any that became too dirty. Okay, so 72. The Giants, during this crazy winning streak, fell under the impression that if they were in the lead during the ninth inning, carrying the ball of uh, the, the ball bag, excuse me, off of the field would ensure their win because, according to the team, they had captured the game. In the bag. In the bag. Nice. Good. Nice. Yeah. And it, you know what, Phil? If that had been my number two and you did it first, I would have almost felt like you were stealing my thunder. Oh. And, and that's where I'm headed next. Stealing oh. someone's thunder. Wow. What a transition. I try. I'm impressed. In the early 1700s, English dramatist John Dennis invented a device that imitated the sound of thunder for a theatrical performance he was working on. Um, producing. The play itself flopped, okay? But soon after, Dennis noted that another play in the same theater was using his sound effects device. He angrily exclaimed, quote, that is my thunder by God. The villains will play my thunder, but not my play. The story <laughs> got around London and the idiom was born stealing someone's thunder. That's fantastic. Over the last two seasons, we've enjoyed bringing unknown stories from history to you every weekend. Now it's your turn to bring a story to us. Every town in every corner of the world has a story, and its history is our history. Tell us the story about your hometown and what makes it special or unique. We're calling it Hometown History. Who or what is your town known for? Tell us your hometown story either in an email or a voice message from our Facebook page. Phil and I will choose one hometown's history to research and profile in a full episode of Season 3 of The Missing Chapter. And we'll contact you to be a part of it. Every hometown has a story. The next chapter we add to the history textbooks could be yours. All right, Phil, my number one, I know this is one I, I didn't um, share with you, it's hold a candle to. Oh, so if you feel like almost like you're inferior to someone, you can't hold a candle to their skill or, or what they possess. That phrase originates from when apprentices were expected to hold a literal candle up for their more experienced colleagues. This might be somebody who's, you know, writing something, trying to create something um, prior to the days of electricity. That's so they were going to be, you know, it's kind of a, a menial task holding the candle so somebody else can do the work. 
Um, the phrase first appeared in print in 1641 uh, in a writing by Sir Edmund Daring. All right, but hold a candle to an apprentice would actually hold a literal candle up for the more experienced colleague to do the work. Mind blown. Now, this one, my number one, is something that I've always wondered. Mm. You know, like you ever had those those moments in, in life where you just say things or do things because that's, I mean, that's what you just kind of learned. Absolutely. But in the back of your head, like, I, I don't know if I really know what that means. This is it. This is it for me. So okay. this is why I chose this for number Here one. Here we go. By and large. By and large. Now, there was a certain part of my life where I thought it was by and large. Mm -hmm. So I always wondered, like, why would someone... It, was it was it by or buy by and large? And you know what? You could almost think by and large, like buy. That's what I'm saying. Right? Like, were you are you buying in bulk? I didn't understand right. this. Like maybe that's what the the term like hey in general or by and large. I'm like oh okay, I guess I, I had no idea. So after seeing this, this makes total sense, and hopefully I can clarify um, some misnomers that people might have about this. So by and large comes from. Once again, we're going back to the nautical theme, okay? Sailors were the first to refer to things, quote, by and large. The first part of the phrase refers to the nautical term, full and by. B-Y, not, you know, by things, full and by, meaning a boat was traveling into the wind. On the other hand, the term large means the wind is coming from behind. So when you put the two terms together, by and large, then it would mean that the wind is coming from any direction which of course gives rise to the current meaning of in general. All right, Phil, in typical missing chapter fashion, anytime we do the, the top five, anything, we always like to give a little bit of a bonus. So here is the bonus round. I'm going to finish up with armed to the teeth. Oh, okay. Uh, possible origin, 17th century pirates who wanted to make sure they never ran out of ammo. So they held a gun in the right hand and their left hand. Oh. But in order to be prepared, they tended to keep another gun in their pocket and held a knife where? In their teeth. And as you said that, it dawned on me. For some reason, my mind went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneer, the football uh, <laughs> emblem, as you said that. There you and go. I, I knew where you were going with that. I'm going to go uh, with my bonus one, let one's hair down. Ooh. So you're at, you're, you're relaxed or at ease. And in public, aristocratic women of medieval times would never have their hair down. They would always, yeah. you know, there was a lot of preparation for aristocratic women, you know, to go out in public. Their hair would be up. They would have corsets on, um, lots of makeup. So when they were actually able to go home, um, their hairdos were finally let down. They were able to relax. They were at ease and they weren't in public anymore. And it was a little bit more of a relaxed environment. So let one's hair down came into to be a famous idiom. Um, this was fun, Phil. And we talked about with the, with the list that we continually have on these, that this might be our first chapter, missing chapter trilogy, possibly, possibly could somewhere be. down the, the line. So stay tuned, listeners. Keep listening. Check us out on social media if you haven't already done so. Follow us on Instagram and on Facebook or email us directly at themissingchapterpodcast.com. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Phil Horander. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks. <laughs>